turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome back as we close out the last hour of the last day of the week here. It is a delight of the month. It is a delight uh, to bring back our dear friend, cultural and presidential historian, Tevi Troy. Dr. Troy is author most recently of the book Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. It's great history. If you believe that you can get good history through biography, which I do, and autobiography, which I do, then this is a great, great history of uh, of not only the presidents from Truman to Trump, but the times. And it's fun. And there's a lot of great anecdotes, um, which Tevi is uh, masterful at uh, reproducing in a very readable book. Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. 25 years ago, pretty much to the day, Christopher Caldwell, who was then a senior writer, if not editor, at the Weekly Standard, which was once upon a time a conservative journal and once upon a time a journal, wrote a column. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's no longer conservative. It's just no longer. It's just no longer a journal. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah right. <laughs> about, about 25 years ago, exactly to the day, Christopher Caldwell wrote a piece called Five Ways America Keeps Getting Better. And it was one of the most interesting pieces Tevi and I read, um, uh, independent of one another, and, and, and both thoroughly, thoroughly found fascinating. And continue to talk about. And have been talking about ceaselessly for 25 years. I don't think there's a piece in any journal since the 90s that we have talked about as regularly as that piece. I'm glad you added the caveat since the 90s. Yeah, no, there are. I, I, I said it slowly. Commentary pieces. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we yeah. should talk about those pieces that have life, pieces that Definitely. stay alive. Right Chris on. Caldwell's. We thought for some reason 25 years ago, five ways America keeps getting better had life. And Tevi himself, partly, I'd like to think because we've been talking about it for 25 years, did, um, if you will, a sequel of sorts. Um, called The Case for Optimism, which is in the Washington Examiner uh, last week. And I wanted to cover both of them as we go into this weekend, especially given the times, which are quite similar if you think about it. So, Tevi, anyway, you've spoken, but I wanted to welcome you back appropriately. hope that setup wasn't too... Thanks for having me. I am officially welcome back. And uh, I would look forward to speaking about both this piece and the precursor of the excellent Caldwell piece from 1996. You know what's interesting, too? The way you open your piece, again, you wrote this about a week and a half ago, and yesterday, just yesterday on social media, this off-moment B-roll audio and video of Clarence Thomas has been making the rounds. Have you seen it? I have not. Some TMZ reporters uh, uh, capture him leaving a restaurant. And he engages with them in the most light and touching and interesting and fun and humble and jocular of ways. It's just a real interesting sight to behold in in a weird way, you know, because these there's this mystery around the Supreme Court justices. And he's just the most regular guy you could find and the reporters thoroughly enjoying him. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't claim to be close friends with him. Uh, or, or even friends with him, but I have met him, and he is always so engaging, right. so entertaining, right. and so approachable. Uh, right. He will ask you about your family. Seriously, as you will see, he will ask these reporters about one of their siblings I couldn't hear. It was kind of interesting when he found out she was going to a school he was familiar with. Why that wind-up? The wind-up is there's something interesting about time in history. Tevi's piece opened a week and a half ago this way. Kind of something about the stumbling block will become the chief cornerstone, huh, Tevi? 30 (laughs) years ago this summer, during the spectacle of the Clarence Thomas hearings, the late Judge Robert Bork said to the late Irving Crystal, this is truly the end of Western civilization. Crystal, upon hearing Bork's assessment, agreed, but said, of course it is, but it'll take a long time. Meanwhile, it's still possible to live well. Before we get to the and meat and bones, yeah. that the editors took out my phrase, Crystal took a long drag of his cigarette and said, Did you? Yes. Well, that is such a better way to write the sentence. That is so much better. They took it out? Yeah, well, you know, uh, cigarettes are much more disfavored today than they were back then. I know, but, uh, but you can really get the scene. I mean, with the, if, of Irving Crystal taking a moment, taking a drag of a cigarette and. Being all kind of, kind of smart and 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 what would you say? Not exactly, uh, what sardonic? A little sardonic, <laughs> and saying a little one upsmanship there, I'd say. Yeah, a little bit. Smart guys. Yeah, yeah. And and knowing Bork, he probably took a drag of a cigarette too. Thank you. And then they went and had a gimlet. Right. Okay. <laughs> true. Also. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Send the send this interview to the editors of the Washington Examiner, and it'll say the upbeat and the un. <laughs> Unvarnished, untrammeled, unedited, unreconstructed case for optimism. You then write, these days conservatives once again have good reason to be down. And you list several. Similarly, Christopher Caldwell was pointing out that um, there were a lot of a lot of books at the time in 96 with titles like The End of Work, The End of Affluence, Silent Depression, Losers for Life, The No Hope Economy, documentaries. People were down too. And yet we tell ourselves, but hold on. We live in the greatest country the world has ever known. Are things as bad as the bookshelves and maybe parts of the culture want to tell us? And you and Caldwell squarely come down on they weren't then and they aren't now, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And and I wouldn't say that the, we, we don't have problems today. Absolutely, we have problems. But we also have some amazing capabilities, some great creature comforts that we didn't have before, and some possibilities for making things better on both the political and cultural fronts if we handle things right and if we express the ways that we got these creature comforts and these capabilities and we can celebrate what America has to offer. I, I end the piece not only on a note of optimism, but on a recognition that optimism is a superior form of politicking, that the optimistic candidates are much more likely to win than the pessimistic candidates. And you can't be optimistic with the woke ideology, which is America is a terrible place, and it's systematically oppressive, and it's systemically racist. And if you say all those things, you cannot be optimistic about things, because the place you live is a terrible place, and it's unredeemable. And that is not the conservative approach. 
and it, the conservative ideas of we believe in standards, we believe in math, we believe in hard work, we believe in individualism, they have led to many of the beneficences we have today. And so the, the piece talks about some of the glorious things that we have today that we couldn't have imagined in the mid-90s when Chris Caldwell was writing. And he was writing in the mid-90s about things that were great then that you couldn't have imagined in a, in a previous era. And sometimes I think we forget to take, take a step back, look around, and see what we have, as opposed to just saying, woe is me, everything's terrible, the woke is taking over, and we have no chance. Um, the, it might be worth pointing out, it's funny how, how advanced those things were in 1996 when Caldwell was writing, but we can come to that back to that later just to illustrate what advancement looks like, because he did five things. You broke your piece into five categories, daily life, food, transportation, inf- information, entertainment, medicine. We'll get to that in a moment, but you, you, you make a, a point that somewhere in between something Dennis Prager has been saying for a long time – and something I believed too, which is there's a he he will say there's a moral obligation to be happy because the happy make the world a better place and the unhappy make it a worse place. And I agree with that. And one of the interesting things about that is what you said, Tevi, which is you can't be woke and happy. And the woke are uh, some of the most unhappy people there are. I um, at least in public. And it's a funny thing because the woke is a progressive left uh, situs, whereas you think of conservative, there is an image of the conservative as, as the old stodgy crank, like some kind of British parliamentarian from the 60s or something, right? And it's just not the case. No, no and also I would say um, connected to what you're saying is about the, the moral obligation to be happy, there's also a moral obligation to be grateful. Mm. And gratitude is at the heart of conservatism, gratitude for what came before us, Gratitude for this great country, gratitude for Western civilization and how it brought the world out of barbarism, and <clears throat> gratitude for all that we have today that our ancestors didn't have. And if you're not grateful, you're unlikely to be conservative, and you're unlikely to be happy. I want to come back on gratitude. That's a really interesting thing. In many respects, it's the opposite of pride, isn't it, uh, which we have been warned about as well. Who knew we were going to get into the seven deadly sins here with Dr. Tevi Troy? <laughs> we're not. We're going to be talking about the cause for optimism in America and his piece. Dr. Tevi Troy is cultural and presidential historian. His most recent book, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. We'll be right back. We are delighted to have with us uh, this uh, last hour heading into Memorial Day weekend uh, presidential and cultural historian Tevi Troy. Dr. Tevi Troy is the author of Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. You can follow and uh, keep up with all his work at his website, tevitroy.org, T-E-V-I-T-R-O-Y.org. Uh, Tevi, um, in, 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 in my job, at least for three hours a day, I probably have more than the average American occasion to answer the question, how are you? You know, someone calls, hey, how's it going? How are you, Seth? That sort of thing. And um, I'm thinking I'm going to change my answer based on listening to you in the previous segment. 
I think I'm going to change my answer to something like, I'm great. I live in the greatest history. I, I live in the greatest country in the history of the world. Just great. Thanks. I think we should condition people to start thinking that way. Maybe even the greatest moment in the greatest country in the history of the world. Yeah, yeah. Even, even with all the challenges. So there are, there are, as you point out, um, uh, a lot of things to be unhappy about. There always are. Um, progressive Democrats in charge of the presidency, as you write, as well as both houses of Congress. Um, the pandemic aftershocks, uh, the deficits. I mean, we can go on listing uh, a parade of horribles that people who want to focus on that can't focus on. But there's a lot to be grateful about, which is related to optimism, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm, I'm getting at. In if my, you can go you negative, know, I, you can go positive, I suppose, is the point. Go ahead. There's this quote in there from Heather McDonald that I just love so much, that uh, all these people on college campuses who whine about how oppressed they are, she said, they have at their fingertips what Faust sold his soul for, knowledge. All of human knowledge is available to us today. If you want to download all of Shakespeare or the Bible or Homer, it's there at your fingertips. You don't have this problem of, uh, the Irish monks trying to preserve civilization desperately by scrawling on, on pages in their monasteries like you had in the Dark Ages. You have, you, you have everything is there and available for us. Now, are there you know, modern-day woke censors? Sure. Are there problems? Sure. But we, we just have so much at our fingertips that we don't even think about. And that, that's what I really try about to talk about in this piece, in this case for optimism piece in Examiner. And I try to show five ways in which these improve our daily lives in ways that, that, are, that are easily recognizable and they manifest in, in, our, in our lives and in our existences and make things better. I mean, one thing I talk about is travel. I remember uh, when I would used to go on trips, let's say, to Los Angeles, which is a very difficult city to navigate, I would have to drive in the rental car with a map between my legs in, in my lap while driving through some sh- shady areas not really knowing where to go. And now with GPS, you can you can navigate any major city, not, not only major cities, but remote areas as well. I mean, it's, it's a huge improvement. Uh, you know, if you need to get somewhere, I mean, Uber has solved the problem of the taxi. And, and I make it very clear in, the, in this piece that I'm not saying that there aren't trade-offs and that you know, I don't have some issues with the, the tech companies, uh, but they've also provided a lot of, of great things that we get to take advantage of. And yes, uh, Amazon and Facebook and Google are leftward-leaning and they're dominant today. But I don't know that they'll be dominant 20 years from now. You, you know, these, these things change. And in fact, in Chris Caldwell's piece, when he talks about uh, things that have improved stuff in the, in the mid-'90s, one of the things he highlights was borders. Uh, borders was great, and it gave people, you know, for those who don't remember, it was a bookstore, uh, and it gave people access to way more books, but it doesn't exist anymore. So uh, th- these things change. If you look at the companies that um, did Super Bowl ads in 2000, uh, you know, many of them don't exist. And, and so th- there's, a, there's a, a national business cycle where companies that seem dominant today may not be dominant tomorrow. Uh, but in the meantime, we've been given some many great tools, many great capabilities, and we should appreciate them. It's almost scary to think about uh, the difference between in my life and your life now between what it was in 1996 and what we were celebrating is, yeah, this is a pretty cool advancement when you step back and think about it um, and saying those kinds of things. Not everything, of course, has improved. Uh, you put this in your essay 
as um, as well. Uh, the way we entertain ourselves, perhaps uh, perhaps we have more access, but not necessarily better quality. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I, I say firmly, I think Hollywood movies are worse today. Yeah, and and I can say this with some knowledge in recent experience, in that my son and I, whom you know, Seth. Uh, have been going through movies during the pandemic. We've seen over 100, and we're trying to watch great movies or classic movies. And, the, you know, I hate saying they don't make them like they used to, but, but the truth is there was a style of movies in the 80s and 90s, of movies, and more 70s and 80s, maybe, of movies that were approachable and that were good for the whole family and that everybody could enjoy and that had a larger message and there was a universalism to them. And they, you know, they focused on good writing. And now movies just seem either to be tent poles, right? The, the latest in the Star Wars saga, or the Fast and Furious saga, or the, uh, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe saga, or they're just woke expressions where they're trying to beat you down and tell you how terrible your your existence in America is. So uh, I think there are better movies. There, there were better Hollywood major studio offerings in the in the past. Those were better. However, I do say that, that what you can see on your small screen on your TV, and, and today you can make your small screen a pretty big screen, you know, 50 inches, 70 inches are not uncommon. Uh, I, I think the variety of things you have through TV in some ways are, are better. You know, we, we used to watch Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. I, I defy you to watch that show, uh, those shows today, and compare them to comedies of today, which are just much uh, faster, smarter, more sharp, sharply written. So. Uh, you know, some things get worse and some things get better. Uh, but but it's clear that we do have more options today than we have now. I wonder if things get worse when they lose their mission. I was thinking of that in, in respect of Hollywood. Um, and you're totally right. It's not just uh, they don't make them like they used to. I do this all, uh, on occasion. You're more of a film um, uh, critic as well as aficionado than I am. So you likely could answer this question. But I can't and I'll ask it. And I don't think most in my audience can answer it either. But what have been named two or three good or even just two or three movies that have come out in the last two years? Anything memorable? And uh, people will, you know, go silent um, or, you know, start scratching their heads. Let me give you one year of Hollywood, 1963. Can I? I mean, this this is just what. You can pick, do this with almost any year, but I like. Yeah, I know what you're going to do, and it's going to blow your socks off. So it's going to blow. Go this is what Hollywood could do in one year. Right. Lawrence of Arabia, The Longest Day, The Music Man, Mutiny on the Bounty, To Kill a Mockingbird, Birdman of Alcatraz, Divorce Italian Style, Days of Wine and Roses, The Miracle Worker, and um, and uh, and uh, uh, Long Day's Journey into Night. I mean, this whatever happened to Baby Jane? I could go on. There are more. That's one year. That's one year. Or, or pick 1939 is one of my favorites. And okay. That year just blows you away in terms of the movies that were available in that, in that one year with Cotton of the Wind and, uh, and, and um, uh, Wizard of Oz. And, and there's literally a dozen great movies that came in that one year. But, um, but if you look at the Oscar-nominated movies for this year, I, and, and if you, you correctly said, I am a film buff, I like to see a lot of movies, I haven't seen any of them, and I barely heard Exactly, exactly. Hold the line. Hold the line. Hold that thought real quick, Tevi. I want to do a quick 1939. I think you'd get Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Wuthering Heights, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, Of Mice and Men. Oh, my gosh. Love affair. Be right back. Yeah, that's pretty good. Be right back with more from Tevi Troy.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. The case for optimism is a piece Tevi Troy wrote. We're talking about <clears> – <throat> there's a lot to be optimistic about. And whenever Tevi and I talk, we often uh, like to challenge each other on the margins just a little bit, I guess uh, uh, honing our steel, Tevi. So uh, on, uh, with that in mind, I just wanted to push a little on the, on the Heather, Heather McDonald uh, quote. You and I are huge fans of Heather. Uh, fair to say we might even be. I, I, I'll say for myself I'm a student of Heather's. Um, I, I just think she's wonderful. And the quote you have of hers is um, instructive to a degree as far as I'm concerned. The quote is, um, any college student today at virtually any American college is among the most privileged human beings in history simply by virtue of having at his fingertips the thing which Faust sold his soul for, knowledge. Knowledge. Um, and it's right uh, as far as it goes. But isn't there some kind of tension, Tevi, between knowledge and happiness or wisdom and happiness and what Heather's talking about? You and Heather are happy when you have access to knowledge. I don't know if everyone is. I don't know if that's what makes the progressive college student happy, that they have knowledge, even knowing that they have the ability to access knowledge. I, I think they are fundamentally unhappy in a way that knowledge will not fix or access to it will not fix. Look, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not going to push back on that one because you're, you're right. There are people who don't appreciate what we have or, and people who don't use the tools for good. I mean, we all know, and I'm not going to say it on this radio show, but we all know what the, uh, the largest use of the Internet is for. It's, uh, it's something that I don't do and I don't... I don't um, does it begin uh, with a P? I don't know, I don't know the answer to this. Is the letter... Does it begin with P? It does. Okay, yeah, I didn't so know that. a lot okay. of people use this Use the internet for things that I don't think they. Can I didn't realize before, that. But, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that said, we're talking. About, I, we can say that, it. It's used for pornography. I, I talk about pornography here. That's okay. It's a word right. we can use. Um, Go ahead. But there are. But the fact that tools are used for ill yeah. does not mean we should ban the tool. Right. You know, look, we, we talk about this in the gun debate all the time. Yes, right. There are people who misuse guns, but there are a heck of a lot more people who use guns for appropriate purposes, for home protection and for hunting. And, uh, there's no reason to ban all guns because some people misuse them. We should perhaps say that there are certain people who shouldn't have access to them. You know, we can ban money, too. Right. Uh, or, you know, do you want to ban, you know, murders in European countries are more often to take place with knives. Right. You ban knives. I mean, you're trying to try and cut your steak with that one. So, uh, so yes, people misuse the tools. People don't appreciate the tools. But what I'm pointing out is that we have the ability to access the tools. And I don't think government can go out there and say, I think this is how you should think or this is what uh, this is how to pursue virtue. But I think society can give you the tools with which you can pursue knowledge and virtue. And I think we have more of those tools available to those who will avail themselves of it today than we have ever had before in history. Totally agree, and at the same time. So let me reemphasize. Totally agree, and at the same time, have a have more than a bit of concern, have more than a little concern about uh, efforts at that manipulation, efforts at the manipulation of knowledge and history that uh, comes with the uh, free access, I suppose. Nothing's free, but the access we enjoy through these social media companies that have given us this. Um, I, I almost feel as if a worm has turned, in a sense, Tevi. I almost feel as if we were in, encouraged uh, to uh, explore the wide, wonderful wonders of the World Wide Web 
and then now having become in a sense addicted to it or reliant upon it if you prefer, we are now um, subject to it kind of futilely, ideologically, in an odd, odd place that probably most of us didn't see coming. Oh, absolutely. And again, I, you know, I, I'm happy to critique the tech companies because no. there's a lot to critique. And I think that uh, I don't like the woke leadership at the top of them and, and many corporations, let, let, let alone universities. Right. But that doesn't mean that we have to live in thrall for them. That's right. And that doesn't mean we can't take advantage of what is out there. And that doesn't mean we can't fight to for our vision of what is the appropriate culture. And, uh, and I lay out in the article uh, tools that we have that I think that the left doesn't have when making their case in terms of optimism and positivity and belief in individual virtue and belief in uh, individual skill and meritocracy. And all these things help bring about the tools that I think lead to the advantages we have today. And and I think you can't really lose a sense of of that. And if you do lose a sense of it, I think that's that's a real problem. That's really one of the most important parts of your piece here. Um, the 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 point about what has made America great, those uh, who support the dynamism that you cheer on or those who are fundamentally unhappy. I've got to take another commercial break, but if you'll uh, let me pick up with you on that theme when we come back, I'd love to do that, Tevi. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Tevi Troy, author of several important books, bestsellers, the most recent Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. We'll be right back. Those high utility bills and thinking about going solar, I want you to check out my friend Solar Sandy. Solar Sandy's different. The difference between Solar Sandy and the other solar companies is she's actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way. She has the formula and wants to put more of your hard earned money back in your pocket. If you sign up with Solar Sandy, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for one year, and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. She's happy to do appointments in person or by Zoom, and I urge you to read the testimonials on her website. They're amazing. What's that website? AskSolarSandy.com. Go to AskSolarSandy.com to get started, or give her a call at 623-850-8229. That's 623-850-8229, or on the web at AskSolarSandy.com. We're talking to a historian uh, and uh, author, Tevi Troy, about uh, cause for and reasons for the case for optimism in America. Tevi, uh, this is super important, what you wrote in your essay here on um, – on, uh, let me just read you your words. On the woke left, uh, attributes like capitalism, freedom, and individual drive are derided. On the woke left, these things are derided and affirmatively determined to be not worthy of celebration. Indeed, you're now seeing curriculum, as you point out, and the Smithsonian waded into this last year. A lot of these attributes are uh, scheduled or toted up as being um, as being uh, emblematic of, of, of white skin or white culture. It's very weird. But when the Smithsonian tried to identify what whiteness was, uh, they identified things like self-reliance, objective, rational, linear thinking, and hard work 
as um, as as things that pertain only to the white race or are clues to what the white race has. And, and if you have those things to borrow from our president, you ain't black. And it was offensive in the extreme, to put it no higher. But those are the things that have made this country great, those and others, self-reliance, objective. You're trying to yeah. design an iPhone without rational, linear thinking. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just not possible. Right, right. Uh, try, and, try, and, try and develop Apple without self-reliance and hard work. Um, or a Tesla or any, or anything. any great technological achievement. Or any great work of art. Right. Exactly. Um, as you write, conservatives have a better case to make that recent improvements derived from uh, American uh, dream inspired – the, the um, traditional American dream inspired message in stark contrast to what's coming out of Hollywood and universities these days. Um, it, it, it's, a, um, it, it's an interesting point when you think about what the left is trying to do. Are they involved in – are, are they trying to re- resurrect some kind of notion of creative destruction where they want to tear all these things down? Who thought we would come to a point in life where a museum promoting American greatness would say such things as self-reliance, linear thinking, hard work, and even religion are uh, baleful, uh, baleful yeah, attributes I'll, I'll, of our society? I'll have to take issue with your um, bringing up creative destruction, which is Schumpeter's uh, form of uh, description of capitalism, uh, which I, I think is apt, and I have no problem with creative destruction. This is destruction for its own sake. I mean, from the uh, Alfred from the Batman movie, some people just want to see the world burn. I mean, if we want to tear down all the institutions, that's not creative destruction. That's destructive destruction. So I'm a fan of creative destruction. I have no problem with the fact that the top 20 companies in the Fortune 500 in 2000 are different than the ones that are at the top of the company in 2020 and will likely be different in 2040. I think that's also the good. So I'm for creative destruction that has something behind it that's trying to build something better. Uh, I'm against destructive destruction, which is tearing down the institutions that have made America a great place to live and that has helped America lead the world in developing these advantages that we now have today before us. Erase everything I said in the lead-up to the question and adopt what you said, the way you put it. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right for that correction or emendation. Uh, Destructive destruction. Uh, obviously, that's what a uh, uh, that, that that's what a revolutionary temper is about: uh, destroying, bringing down iconoclasm. Uh, but it is the very things that have made us great, and it and it makes us wonder, doesn't it, a little bit, what their vision of the future is? We've shown you ours. We've shown you what capitalism and generosity's vision, paired with hard work, can produce. It can produce everything we love about this country. I don't know what the other is. Doesn't seem to me that the Soviet Union produced anything any consumer ever wanted. Uh, nor, nor the food needed to feed its, its populace, right. Right? right? I mean, be, be, you know, beyond uh, great inventions, it, it didn't pr- produce the basics. That's right. That's right. And on top of that, on top of that, then we have to we have we we have to um, kind of assume. Don't we, Tevi, uh, that if we're going to go forward as conservatives and winning conservatives um, who believe in whether you want to call it making America great again, keeping America great, but the greatness of America, the uniqueness and, 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 uh, and, and uh, greatness of America, that can only come. 
that can only come with a positive and optimistic temperament. I mean, that's the great lesson for conservatives, isn't it? Barry Goldwater can't really win with that temperament. Ronald Reagan can with that one. Right, and also you can't invent new things if you're not fundamentally optimistic, right. if you don't fundamentally believe that you can create something that can make things better for those around you. Uh, invention is a fundamentally optimistic action. And uh, so I, you know, that, that's why you say <laughs> traditionally uh, so many business people were, were conservative. Uh, I know in recent days there's uh, the problem of, of the woke corporation, but those people aren't usually the inventors. No, and they may be presiding over the loss of their – I mean they may be presiding over you know, uh, negatives and downfalls in their corporations. I I do think when a corporation has Mission Creeper loses its goal, uh, that's when things things do go south. And I think that's the story of some of those things that Christopher Caldwell was talking about, some of the things you were talking about. When we lose lose our purpose – um, as 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 academics, uh, as you and I could show in academia, when academia lost its purpose to study the important and true and actual things and got involved in, you know, inventing new theories that make no sense, it made for less good. It made for worse education. Right. And it's not just theories that, that make no sense. I mean, that's one way of saying, but it's also theories that could not be understood. Mm. Mm. I mean, the the great intellectuals of years past. They wrote for a widely educated audience. That's a good point. Whereas the academics of today write for the narrowest possible possible audience, and they write in an essentially obfuscatory language so that not only common people, but well-educated people who are not of that field will not understand it. And they're not happy when they do it. Right, that's true. (laughs) Tevi Troy, have a meaningful Memorial Day. Thanks for spending some of your Friday afternoon with us. Thank you, Seth, for inspiring me to write the piece. You betcha. When we come back, as I do now, I think is my second year in a row. Maybe this will be our annual Memorial Day thing. Uh, When we come back, I got a little, I hope it's a treat for you. I hope you consider it a treat. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The um, TAPS bugle call has long, at least since the... um, 1860s has long been the call of the bugler or the trumpet when uh, the soldier goes to rest or his final rest. Anyone who's been to a U.S. military funeral knows the importance of it, as anyone who lives in this country should know the importance of the service of those who it has played for and whose memory we will commemorate this weekend and this Monday. In my effort to salute you as well, here I shall play for you my version on my trumpet of taps. (laughs) 